live from Studio Breezy. It's the Section 109 podcast with our second podcast of the day, Matthew. Well, yeah, but we were going to release them on different days. Yeah, yeah, but we mentioned earlier we were going to record a second one. That's here's true. A th- That's true. Here's the thing. Uh, we could release two in one day, but that just seems wasteful. But we're back after a, a long break. We're, we're doing two in one day. We did one earlier this week. We're kind of back in the swing of things. We are back in the swing of things, for sure. And this one I'm very excited about. We just finished up the CFC Women's roster recap version one, the first one of the season for them. Very excited. Please go listen to that. Uh, would love any feedback you have on on how it went. Uh, always like the listener questions. Had quite a few of those, so that was great. And now we move on to the men's version, which this will be version three, I think. Two or three of the season. So we're a little further in. We'll talk a lot more about tactics. This roster is much closer to being complete than the women's roster is. So let's dive in, baby. All right. First question up. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. First question is, how do you go into a preseason match against Beeman United, knowing you may have to play them in round two of the U.S. Open Cup. That comes from Mike Batista. And uh, by the time you listen to this, listeners, we will have already played that match. Um, yeah, not the Open Cup match, the preseason match. Oh, I was going to say. My God. I was like, I was wondering when you thought I was going to release this podcast. Yeah, just on just on Monday. Got it, got it. Okay. Just on Monday. So we, we will have already played that match by the time you guys listen uh, and, and that's actually an interesting question because yeah, you know, the winner, we, we get the winner of, of Beeman United and Des Moines Menace on Wednesday, April the 5th. Uh, that match will be away no matter what. Um, if you're, if you're one of those people that wants to, to be at the match, it's a lot easier to make it to Murfreesboro than it is to Des Moines, Iowa. Um, but I think if you look at the way. I I just don't I just don't think there's going to be any bearing on uh, trying to show a different look or or like you know f- fix substitution patterns or anything like that. Like it's preseason. I think the the team's going to play how they're going to play, and I think they're going to play how they how, how they're going to play in a preseason match, in a regular season match, in an open cup match. It's just not going to matter. I don't th- I don't think Rod's changing anything for. Um, for that game, I do think it'll be nice to have a little bit of uh, a little bit of an idea on on what on what Beeman can do and, and who they have, and uh, and I and having the the Open Cup match uh, against against Des Moines if they happen to win, well that'll provide a little bit more tape and a little bit more of an idea. But like Rod's not changing, so yeah, you nailed it there. Like Rod Rod Underwood does not change from week to week on how his teams play now does he make small adjustments to maybe how we're gonna come out and and exploit a weakness sure absolutely but rod underwood does not believe that other teams should dictate how we play we said last year that on our day we were better than anyone else or as good as anyone else we could beat anyone else on our day we played our game and everyone adjusted to us and i expect nothing different this year other than we are earlier on in the process right now so we're still in preseason I believe that Rod won't care about letting... I mean, it's possible he might save a tactical evolution that he was going to start using for the season. Like, let's say he's going to make one small, subtle change. He might make that after the Beeman game for the team and then start practicing it. But I don't even think he'll do that. I think we will play how we play. We will do what we do. Maybe we will play trialists... Um, no, we won't do anything different. 
I was going to say, maybe we'll play Trilish a little earlier or something. We won't do anything different. We'll play our lineup. And here's the thing. Beeman is a UPSL team. They're very good. They're one of the, they're one of the best teams in the country last year in the UPSL. We should beat them anytime, anywhere. We're a professional soccer team. And if we can't beat Beeman, we don't deserve to go on in the Open Cup. Now, I want to be really clear. I don't think you approach this game any differently. Also because Des Moines is going to beat the shit out of Beeman. <laughs> now, I am basing that on our time in the MPSL, right? So, like, Des Moines has lost their coach, their longtime coach, to Knoxville. We just played. Fuck him. Uh, yeah. You, you can talk about how you feel about him on this podcast. I will I will not... Um, I will not uh, bother you at all about it, although I gave you a lot of shit the other day. But I think they will still be. They are one of. They are the premier PDL program in the country, maybe or close. They are, in a lot of ways, analogous to CFC. They didn't have a real big supporters culture, but they've always had fans. Yeah, they've always had people who showed up. They have always been very, very good. They always have former pros. In fact, they always had more former pros even than we did on their roster. Yep. Uh, and they will have former pros when we go to play them. And they will be very good. And by the way, and there's there's a, there's a reason why they're the building block for for the the planned USL Championship team in, yes. in Des Moines. There's also a reasonable chance, and I want to be clear on this. There's a reasonable chance we lose to Des Moines. I'm not suggesting we're going to, but Des Moines will be a very good team. They will be at home. It will be a midweek game for us. It will be early on in our preparation, and I don't know where they'll be and who they will have, but they may have 12 foreign players or 15 foreign players who are high level college players that are very good. Just similar to how we in the NPSL gave every USL championship team we played a real run for their money and a yep. real problem. And we kind of ran out of gas around the 70th minute because they were am we were amateur players and the, the pro players were in better shape. And generally speaking, around the 70th minute, you found out, if you remember playing Harrisburg, like, yeah, it will be the, a similar thing for us. Now, do I think we should win? Yes. But Des Moines is a very good program. They're a very good team. They will be very talented, and they will provide a stern test for us. Do I hope Beeman wins? Yes. I would like to make that trip to Murfreesboro. I look forward to making that trip to Des Moines <laughs> and getting hammered on a Wednesday night. I met some wonderful people on my cruise from Des Moines, and I asked them a bunch of questions on where to go. I have an entire list on my phone of That's places. Beautiful. I have dive bars. And in fact, if it is on Wednesday and after the game, let's say the game's not too late, we end up at a bar or a pregame, we end up at a particular bar, I believe my friends from Des Moines will be at that bar. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, because they every Wednesday they go to a particular bar. So I got all the goods on where to go, and I look forward to being in Des Moines on a fucking Wednesday in April. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how I think. I don't think you play any different. One, because we just don't. Rod doesn't. And you can prepare for us all you want, but we are going to be good at what we do, and we don't care how you prepare for us. That's the first thing. And the second thing is we're not going to play Beeman. We're going to play. I hope we do, but we're going to play Des Moines. I'll, Unless something crazy happens, I'll also point out that like and watch, watch Beeman go out and smack Des Moines for nothing. As the as the like you know the higher level team, and I'll use quotes for that. Like as the higher level team going on the road to a lower level team, that's the magic of the cup. Yeah, 100%. Like it, it went. It, it was the other way around when Memphis came to Finley Stadium last year. Well, I mean, I would argue Finley Stadium is a lot nicer place than they play, but sure, it is. That absolutely is. Uh, but like it, it is, it is, it is the magic of the cup that it creates upset opportunities, and and this time in round two, the target's going to be on our back, and that's a different type of challenge that this team is not necessarily used to. We have we have not had the Open Cup in, in years and years and years now. Yeah, uh, until last year, with, yeah. with the exception of last year, which we played a pro team straight out. So it, it's going to be a different environment. It's going to be a really good test. Uh, preseason is preseason. You know, the guys need to keep on keep working on and getting better on doing what we do, establishing what we do, and figure out, you know, who who really works with one another well. Uh that that will determine who plays. 
uh, to start the season on April 1st. Uh, next question on our agenda, uh, and it comes from, comes from Mr. Batista again, who uh, I actually met in person for the for first time ever uh, a few weeks ago. Hell yeah. And uh, he, uh, he's native of uh, northern Jersey and uh, came and joined, joined me at the Xavier Seton Hall basketball game. Hell yeah. Uh, a couple well, that, weeks ago. That before. poor guy. Yeah, it was awesome. We had a great time. Did you guys win? We kicked the shit out of Seton Hall. It was awesome. Hell yeah. So uh, it, it was it was a great time. But anyway, he asks, uh, thoughts on the unbalanced schedule in NISA and prepping the team for long trips to California, Western New York, and potentially Des Moines in the U.S. Open Cup. Let me go first on this one because I know you have t- thoughts. Okay. Um, I don't care. And I know we disagree on this. I don't care. Here's why I don't care. Home dates for us are revenue-generating opportunities, if we're just being really, really blunt and really honest. Like, home games versus away games, yes, they all count the same, right? They all count the same in the point standings or whatever else. We have an even number of home and away. Other teams don't, but we do. The thing that sucks is we don't have as many home games as we need because we need to have 18 for season pass holders. That's the promised amount. And we need to have more than that because we need to have opportunities to generate revenue to pay for these players, to pay for the uh, other things, to pay for all the things that go into professional soccer, right? So I don't care. I care that Nice exists. Nice is a shit show. We've talked a million times in this podcast. People continue to talk about how fucking bullshit the entire league is. The fact that Bob Freeland holds everything back and that John Pruch is a fucking lying, shysting asshole. Like, these are things that are not new and not secrets if you listen to this podcast. So, I don't care who we play, how we play them. The long road trips are actually going to be a little bit less because we have one less team in California. And we can talk about that team in California, the one of the... Uh, it, Albion and what we think about why the schedule is like it is and whatever else, but I just don't care. Bring on all comers. The arguably the best team in the league last year is out of the league now. Yeah. We've taken several of their good players. Fuck them. Fuck everyone. Home or away, any night. I don't care who it is. Look, I'd love for Des Moines to be at home because selfishly it's annoying to go on the road, but also it's going to be fucking fun if we go on the road to Des Moines. Like, bring on all comers. I don't care. The unbalanced shit is bullshit, but it's, it's Nisa. Who gives a fuck? Just be glad they're playing games. Yeah, maybe that's the biggest takeaway is just we're all surprised that Nisa still exists. And and, and and honestly, crazily enough, is in a better place than it was last year, even though we have less teams. Maybe. Here's what I say. Here's why I say that. A few of the new franchises, or whatever the fuck you want to call them. <laughs> I, I know franchises is a bad word in lower division soccer, but I just don't care. Peter Fuller always called them franchises. <laughs> and we call them franchises in American sports, right? Um, these new teams, these new organizations, these new whatevers, like Gold Star seems to have their shit together. We'll find out. I could be, I could be like proven wrong, right? But Gold Star appears to have their shit together. Savannah appears to have their shit together. Club de Leon, who fucking knows? But that's two more solid teams. Last year, Valley United had their shit together. They were cheating. And Bay Cities and Syracuse clearly did not. The Mission Stars still have their shit together for what they are. Fuck them, but what they are is fine. Albion, I realize, is a little shaky, and we can talk about, like, Albion and their shit, but, like, they'll probably be okay. Uh, And it it seems that this year we might only have one or maybe two teams to worry about, hopefully. And Maryland seems to be okay. Anyway, my point being is, like, I think Nice is in a similar position to last year or slightly better. And it just needs to exist for the rest of the year. As a CFC fan, Nisa is not our final destination. It's just not. That might be a spoiler alert. By the way, when I say it's our fi- not our final destination, I lost faith. And you you know that like when I went out to California like two years ago now, I called for us to leave Nisa. Mm-hmm. I said, we, I said if this is what Nisa is, then fuck it. Let's get out of here. I Nothing has changed. So look, would I like Nisa to be great? Sure. Make Nisa great again. 
or for make, the first time. Make it great make for the first time. Make Nisa great for the first time. <laughs> or whatever horseshit slogan you want to use that fucking fuckface can use as a, uh, a George can use as a, a, a slogan when he hosts Donald Trump again. But I just don't think Nisa's going to go anywhere. So this is not our final destination. Therefore, all I want is for a league to exist, whatever league we're playing in, to exist, to give us the opportunity to play. And then we will do our thing from there. We will bring up any league we play in. We won't let a league drag us down any further than they have to, hopefully. So fuck Nisa. The unbalanced schedule is bullshit, but I just don't care. I just want them to play. So the, now now you can go after my long my long rant about it. The the unbalanced schedule is a problem for me. Uh and, and it's pretty clearly designed to save Albion and to keep Albion in the league. I mean they're playing what like Why do you say that? They're playing like fourteen home games and like eight road games or something like something stupid like that. Isn't it? 14 and 10 then? it might be 14 and 10 yeah i don't know the actual number i'm not looking at it but I'll, actually well i'll look it up while you do it i just think to make sure. i think they've got like three different trips uh of like they're three away three of their 10 away games are like all the uh, la force or something like that it, it's really stupid like, it's pretty transparently uh, a move to save albion uh we had heard that uh that there were two different kind of schedule plans uh one with albion one without albion uh, and the one without Albion was going to have LA on the road a lot, but it was going to be 28 games uh, and perfectly balanced. And the one with Albion uh, was going to be something more like 26 games, uh, some a pod a pod system, and, and just a little bit more balanced. Now I'm of the opinion you have nine teams. Those those you know you play your eight conference or your eight your eight league opponents four times. Yeah, Matthew, tell me how you and, would have done nine you would have done nine teams. I just make them play 32 times. Like every other fucking league in the United States. Like this isn't that hard. Uh but it's Nisa. They're constantly doing things on the cheap. They're constantly doing things in the in the most stupid way possible. And if you're if you're massaging a schedule to make sure that Albion plays, you've got fucking problems. And I know why they did it. It's not hard to figure out. Nine teams play this year. Nisa's had uh, in every year of his existence, a team has either left Nisa or folded, or both. If Nisa had only had eight teams competing this year, and somebody left or folded or both, they would drop below the number of teams uh, available for sanctioning. Yep. Which is like, you know, in, in such a way, like Nisa probably is only being sanctioned because of the the NASL lawsuit with, with U.S. Soccer, otherwise this thing would have been put out of its misery a long time ago. But yeah, the even, Cosmos are still paying members of this league. If anybody's forgotten, even even like e- even with that circumstance, or even if, if we they pre- drop below the number of teams, that's it. That's curtains. Yeah. Or even if we pretend that we're wrong and that the lawsuit has nothing to do with it, once you drop below eight teams, like you you're can't. you're yeah. fucking done. I mean, and then teams are allowed to leave just for fucking free. Because there, there is no. You remember the old NASL days when that's what as happened. As soon as you get below eight teams, ever no one has buyouts. So, um, so like, by the way, I looked it up. It is, a, it is 10, 14, and three. Just like okay. you said, it's ten, it's ten away games, it's fourteen home games, and three of the away games are just up to LA. Unbelievable. So they only have, they actually have seven actual away games. At which point, I think I didn't look, but I bet you they will do three trips across the country. Yeah, I believe it's designed so they only have to go three times. And by the way, if, if you, by if, way, if you're going to keep a team in, though. Like and you, let's pretend that Albion is important, right? Let's pretend that it is. I mean, selfishly, I'm not. I'm not mad about two trips to San Diego. Let's go. I can't, I, yeah, yeah, we're going. We're going in just a few weeks, uh, yeah. right after we go to Des Moines. Um, but the 
I, I think that like this is actually the way this not that dumb of a way to do it in the sense that like they made it so their oh, travel it's budget horrendously stupid. If if all you care about is them existing, this is not a dumb way to do it. I'm not defending Nisa. What I'm telling you though is that like I understand from a league standpoint how they got there. How they got there. Yeah. Look, you're correct. The problem is we're playing with a bunch of poors who Oh my gosh. who don't want to spend what you need to spend, I guess, on figuring this league thing out. Pro soccer is expensive. That sucks. And Albion obviously didn't want to spend a lot of money. Or yeah. or you want the conspiracy theory? The league's currently funding them. And well, all listen, the owners it, all the owners are going, we're each putting in X number of dollars, and the way that the league decided to make that work is to make it cost less. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but I, hope I wouldn't all, be shocked. I hope all we put in was a fifty bucks and a basket of triscuits. I hope we didn't um, put in a dime. Let me let me put talk about the 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 long trips component of this that of Mike's question. Absolutely. I think, I think this part's interesting. If you look at it, we made trips to Valley United last year. We made um, that that was a standalone trip, and then we made two other trips to the West Coast for a total of three West Coast trips. We made four trips to Western New York, um, and and since those were the, the two mentioned, Des Moines is Des Moines. It's Open Cup. Open Cup is weird. Things happen. We're on currently on the schedule right now. We're scheduled to make two trips to the West Coast. And two trips to Western New York. We are we are essentially the, of the bigger portions. And by the way, there's not a lot different between Western New York and and Michigan or going to Maryland. Like, it's a few more hours if you're taking the sleeper bus. It's a it's a flight out of Atlanta that you're still doing no matter what. I was gonna say I don't think we're I don't think we're taking a sleeper. We might take a sleeper bus to Detroit. Maybe we won't take one to Western New York. We have before last year. Yeah, we took a sleeper bus to New York. Yeah. So God, that's a long trip. But but it, the the concept's still the same. We're we're making fewer trips than we were last year, mm. and and ostensibly we're playing two fewer games than last year. Although it ended up becoming we were just one uh, after we replaced Valley uh, at home. So like it's not it's not that much different. It really isn't. Um, so I'm not worried about the travel. I think this team's always had to travel at the professional level. It's not really ever been a problem. We go, we do the, we, we do the job. We come home. Also, one thing that we didn't do, we didn't see last year, is we saw several teams come from the West Coast to the East Coast and do three games. Nobody did a West Coast to East Coast swing and win a bunch of games playing three. Yeah. We we talked about this with Jeremy. I mean, Albion, Albion did not win a single game in, uh, in 2022 outside of California or Western New York. Yep. So one thing that I Jeremy mentioned when we were having beers a few months ago, he said the teams that scheduled three games on a road trip were crazy. If you look at the records, it dictates or it shows you rather that this is like a bad idea just by the numbers. And he's correct. One thing you will not see CFC do is cheap out and do three or four games on a giant road trip stretch. We will do two games, which two games make sense. Do a, a, a Wednesday, Saturday, or Wednesday, sure. Sunday, whatever. Easy. No problem. And I plan to go to San Diego and L.A. I'll point out, we made, in 2021, we made back-to-back weekend trips to California, and we flew back each time. And the teams that stayed were, frankly, insane. And they probably had to stay because it ended up being cheaper because they don't book their flight, their plane tickets, until like 36 hours before the flight. Like, we... We book these things when we can and get them as, as good a deals as we can get, 
And like, it's not our first rodeo here. Yeah, we'll take, we'll just do it smartly is all I was going with. Like we'll do two, we'll do two at a time. The guys will be in reasonably good hotels. They'll have a reasonably good accommodate. Like everything will be good enough that we will not suffer the hangover. And now I'm jinxing us of, of playing three games on the road, like teams did last year. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey Clymer as well for the, uh, uh, kind of the second part of that question about insights into the disparity of home games. Uh, that's that's what it is. Yeah, we that's what we believe. It's just to placate Albion. There's no other thing. There's no other way it makes sense. And honestly, like you can see who has fans because our we did not get screwed on that. We still got our yeah. like even number of games, twelve or whatever. Uh, other teams got eleven or ten or whatever. So yeah. like, yeah. So let's let's move on now. Uh, we'll come back to some mailbag stuff a little bit later, but let's move on to. Uh, kind of a, a not a deep dive on each individual player, but let's do a little do bit of, of individual background on on some of these players, and then we'll bring it all back together. We'll talk about some different things. Excuse me, and uh, and we'll and we'll take some questions at the end. So let's start off with the goalkeeping core. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, uh, let's just start straight off. Is Jean Antoine, six foot three goalkeeper from uh, Jeremy Haiti. Nisa Golden Glove winner in 2022. Uh, he previously played for the San Diego Soccers in the Major Arena Soccer League, as well as 1904 FC, uh, which became Albion later on. And then he spent the last couple of years at Cal United Strikers. He also played for Detroit and, and was the uh, was Detroit starting goalkeeper in the in the bubble in 2020. Uh, when they won the, the Nisa Fall Tournament, mm-hmm. uh, which I forgot to list here, but th- that also happened. Uh He's been the starter throughout preseason, and yeah, well, I mean, talk talk to me about about Antoine. Look, we 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 went over him, so I won't spend too much time. We went over him in our original roster, um, one of our roster shows that I listened to earlier today. But basically, he's big, he's tall, uh, he's quite a bit taller he's than a our giant previous goal. Yeah, he's quite a bit taller and bigger than our previous uh, season's goalkeepers. Actually, since our goalkeepers, maybe ever, um, even when we've had a, a tall player, it was like. Thomas Hunter back in the day, and he wasn't truly six foot three and two hundred and ten pounds, or however big Antoine is. So both him and Jonathan Burke are of a different class in size, and by that I mean physical they, profile. They chose to go with the physical profile. Thank you. That is larger, and it's very clear. And I'm very excited about both guys. So Jonathan Burke is a six foot four goalkeeper from Napier, Illinois, Napier, Naperville, Naperville. Like I said, Naperville, Illinois. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jonathan. Um, Missouri Valley Conference Goalkeeper of the Year in 2022. He played six years in college. Well, seven. Six, oh, sorry. He played he spent, Eastern... He spent, he spent seven years in college, but he played for six like season, five or COVID, whatever. Yeah. So he played Eastern Illinois and Drake University. So I have really liked what I saw from Burke, including the game that we reviewed from One Knox, which is was playing in the background here. Uh, I loved his cameo at the end. I thought he was very good. Not just a cameo. It was like 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. I thought he was good. Uh, he had I, a great second half against against Atlanta United as well. Exactly. So, like, look, I I love that we have a, and I said this on the previous episode, a solid starter that's a pro, and we have a younger up-and-coming goalkeeper that's a perfect balance, and I love that how they built that part of the roster. Agreed. Couldn't say, couldn't say, uh, couldn't say anything so less. So, let's talk about a defender with two defenders. So, Matthew, we have center backs. Yeah, so we talked we talked on this podcast a lot about how no center backs. We had no center backs, and we were we were doing we were doing Colin Stripling dirty uh, on that front. Oh, we talked about that Colin could be a center back. Y- yes, or he might we, be a center we, back. We did, but um, we've got uh, two 
actual center backs. Like I think they're they're likely the starting starting center back pairing. We saw them together against against Knoxville. Uh, it's and, not it's not likely. I I would put a lot of money <laughs> on it. And here's why: you have a left footer and you have a starting level right footer. And I'm not saying Colin couldn't start, but like I think Colin's versatility means he'll just be played in nine other positions. Fair. So let's let's start off with the left center back, Aiden Bowers, six one uh, center back from Marietta, California. Uh, he's a I think four, it's Marietta, four year player at San Francisco State University. Uh, he actually got his professional career started at FC Helsingør in Denmark. I did not know that. And he uh, and he played for Cal United Strikers from uh, starting in 2020 during the bubble um, or like the the fall mm-hmm. the fall campaign uh, 2020 through 2022. Uh, this guy this guy is really really solid. Uh, I like his I like his ability to pass. I like his ability to step uh, and intercept balls. I think he's going to be a, a really good signing for us. I'm really happy we got that done. Um, and I think that's a statement intent. Uh, statement of intent from from CFC. I think you could. He didn't win. He didn't make the first team last year on the Nisa Best team. But I think you could argue he deserved to be. He's Nisa Best eleven quality, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, and he's left footed. That's a big. That's a big thing. It's hard to find left footers and to find a left center back. Yeah. Who? Spoiler alert. I think is also probably our backup left center back. Or, I mean, excuse me, our backup left back. If something happens. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I am. I it, don't put any stock into into a player not not receiving an award from Nisa because it's fucking Nisa. Like agreed. They're they're dumb as hell. Aiden Bowers is. A highlight for me. I'm very excited. I liked him last year a lot. Yeah. And the fact that he's here is very, very, very good. Very it good. It is basically we said in Rod We Trust, we're gonna wait, we're gonna get some drop downs. This is that version of that. I'm sure he was in camp with other teams, including yep. Detroit, which yeah. we saw announced. They they obviously did not sign him, and now we have signed him, and I am extremely happy how that worked out. Absolutely. Uh so the next player, Anatolie Prepelitsa which is my best attempt at the Romanian pronunciation is a six foot four. He might be nine foot tall center back, uh, from Moldova. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce his hometown. Sorry, Tolly. Um, Chisinau. The problem. Yeah, that might be it. The problem is I, Ella pronounced it for me and now I can't remember how she pronounced it. And I'm not getting yelled at. She's not here. We'll have to bring her in to uh, like say all the Romanian words, we'll just point at her to say the Romanian words. Um, national team experience with his native Moldova. I think he has either three or five appearances, uh, including several in Euro qualifiers, which were against smaller nations, admittedly, and Moldova is also a smaller nation. But re- representing your team in a, as a European qualifier is very fucking cool. Um, yeah. He arrives at CFC after spending 2022 with FC. Uh, it's probably Baltsy, but it might be Balti. Anyway, he is an absolute, as the Brits say, fucking unit. Yeah. He, is he a makes unit. he makes Nick Spielman look small. Yeah. And I didn't know that was possible. He is genuinely, other than Jean Antoine, the biggest player on the roster. And I'm not saying he's like Jean Antoine's noticeably bigger, but those are the two biggest guys. He's a big, big boy. And uh, he is an incredibly physical player. Last year in Moldova, he averaged uh, a yellow card every two games. I love that. I watched so much. some of his uh, some of his highlights, and they are very good. He is a very big guy. He loves a crunching tackle, and he also cleared a ball possibly out of the stadium into orbit. You can't see on the thing. And I got a text message from you that he had cleared a ball into the last rows of the stadium. And I said, how loud did you shriek? And he, you said, very, very loud. <laughs> it was it was awesome. Uh, Matthew loves a good clearance. And I think he's going to provide a few of those. Yeah, I I think he's a he's a fantastic pickup. Uh, the circumstances for, for why he's here at all in, in the United States uh, kind of suck. 
Uh, For sure. I believe his wife is, is Ukrainian and, and left because of the war. And, um, you know, I, it, it's, a, it's less than ideal circumstances, but he's a, he's a professional and, and, and he did well on trial. And he did well in the Knoxville game. Frankly, he was named man of the match. And I'm really excited to have him. And I think, I think this guy... I think this guy has a ceiling that's that's higher than here, which is awesome. Something, which is fantastic. Something to note from that Knoxville match, I think Tolly, uh, as, as the play, as the other players call him, Tolly is a step forward or a step above, or whatever you want to call it, in mentality. And I don't just mean like in winning mentality or whatever else. I mean in like nastiness. He's got a little edge to him. Um, you see, like we we saw in in a bit of the closed scrimmage that we got to see a piece of that a player stepped to him like that they were going to, you know, said something like, I'll fuck you up. And he, he said, I'll break your face to him. And that player literally stopped and turned around and went away. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Clymer asked in the, uh, in the, the mailbag requests, how many players is totally going to absolutely destroy this year? So, and I think, I think the answer to that is, is very, very simple. And it comes from a great movie. The limit does not exist. Mm, so what I think, I, I love that question. And I, I do think, about one per game. Um, what I do, th- and I think you saw that in the one Knox, he destroyed a couple dudes. What I do think in that one Knox game that I saw was that number one, he kept his head well, but also provided a physical presence that you couldn't. I don't think teams like the Michigan Stars are going to be able to get away with the some of the shit they could get away with normally, and yeah. that's. It's a little bit that we saw that with Nick Spielman in the past years, like when Nick Spielman would come in or Sean Russell, when they would come into a like when fisticuffs would happen and there'd be like people be shoving when Nick Spielman showed up or when Sean Russell showed up, teams calm down a little bit. Yeah, we, we, I think we when Tolly shows, I think when Tolly shows yeah. up, people are going to calm down. We didn't have as much of, the, of that kind of edge uh, and you don't want too much. of no, it. Right? No, 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 you don't. But, you but don't like you, you do need some of it uh, because you can't get pushed around. Um, I'm very excited to have him. It's going to be going just to be, a little going to be fun. There's just a little threat of that guy's huge, and if he ch- decides, he could squash me like a bug. And I think that that is that's important for other players to remember on the other teams. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to Colin Stripling, six two center back is how I listed him in this, uh, only because he played uh, he's played the first part of preseason as a center back. Um, but we can talk about that a little bit later. From Scotch Plains, New York, uh, one goal and two assists in uh, twenty two hundred and fifty five appearances for CFC. Nice oh, job. That's, that's pretty crazy. That's a lot of that's a lot of uh, appearances. Pretty, pretty sure that's supposed 225 to be minutes. Two hundred twenty five minutes. That or two thousand two hundred twenty five minutes. That makes more sense. I was going to say that's a few more games, and I remembered us playing. Uh, yeah, previous clubs are, are FC Tucson, RIP, uh, Greenville Triumph, and then Stumptown AC, uh, where he played the football season with Rod Underwood. Welcome back, Colin. We've talked briefly about him and what we think he is, so I won't go too far into that, other than I think Colin Stripling is the true 12th man who will end up playing 75% of the minutes, roughly, for the season, of whatever a starter plays. Whatever a starter plays this year, he will play 75% of those minutes, meaning he's essentially a starter, but I just think he will play... Who knows? He could just be a nail down starter at one of the positions, but I think he's going to play a lot of minutes at a lot of different positions because he Agreed. is Nisa quality on a very, very good team at literally like six different positions. And so that versatility and us signing two center backs is so important and so good because, for example, we we should go into this when we get to the you want to do it later. Yeah, we should get into okay. this when we do the tactical stuff, because cool. I think I think the way that that this team is currently set up in preseason benefits having Colin is the 12th man. So let's, okay. let's come back to that. Ethan Corrin, 
Six-foot-tall center back from Orlando, Florida. Four appearances with two starts for CFC. Two of those appearances, the non-starts, were in NISA games. Yes. So he got that NISA experience. Um, I spoke with Coach Rod really briefly. Uh, I ran into him on the street, and I asked him about Ethan Corrin, and he said— Look, Ethan's going to play some minutes this year. He's like, I'm not saying he's a starter necessarily, but I'm just telling you he's been good, and we think he's taking the next step, and we think he's going to be ready to play. So, And I was like, well, what do you mean, like five, ten minutes at the end of the game? So yeah, something like that. He said he, we, we see him developing. We see him uh, like getting better, and we're happy. We're happy with his his development. We think he'll we'll see him play a little bit more this season, which is great because we saw him play basically two, three minutes at the end of both of those um, appearances in NISA, and that's good to get your feet wet. But him playing, him, Rod considering that he believes he's going to trust him, Rod considering him to play for 10 minutes at the end of a game, 15 minutes at the end of the game, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And that'd be really, really important. I mean, he was he was the— uh, He started against Atlanta United. Yeah, exactly. So I And he played against Metro Louisville. He started against uh, Charlotte FC, uh, the MLS Next Pro Team at the end of, end of the season. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this, this will be a really interesting interesting season for Ethan Corn. And also, where does he play? Does he play center back or does he play midfielder? That'll be interesting to find out. Joseph Perez, five foot nine left back from Anaheim, California, one assists in 31 appearances in NISA. Previously, he played with Puebla Dos. I'm guessing that's Puebla Dos. It's Puebla 2, Las Vegas Lights, 1904 FC, LA Force, and the Cal United Strikers. Matthew, is there a pro team in California he didn't play for? Uh, there are a lot of pro teams in California. So okay. Yeah, there, there yeah, are a few. Shut up. Uh, it was a bad joke. Um, pa- Perez is an interesting one. Uh, you, I can was, tell you watch too much Formula One because you call him Perez. <laughs> the uh, he, he was one of the players we covered way way back in mm-hmm. in, in the in the first roster pod. Uh, he's now that I've seen him play a little bit. He's not an overlapping outside back, although he like can in in certain moments. Uh, and we'll and we'll talk about tactics, but he seems like. Uh, kind of a tweener, like he's not overlapping, but he's not fully inverted. He's not a center back. He's not a midfielder. Uh, it, but I, I think Rod has carved out this really interesting position for him as, as from left back that has, um, I, I think, I think bodes well for, for, for Perez this season. I agree. I think he's going to be big. I think he's not, like you said, he's not like a prototypical bombing left back. But I think he's going to be very, very good, and I've liked what I've seen so far. Um, Jonathan Partida, Senor Tita, as I think they call him. Uh, <laughs> not Senor, just Tita. Uh, Jonathan Partida, 5'10", right back from Newark, Cal- Newark, Newark, I don't know, California. 55 appearances and 3,900 minutes at San Jose University. I assume he never subbed out a single time. Uh, 10 appearances in NISA with LA Force and Bay Cities. I know he played at both left wing back and at left back. Um, right back. I'm sorry. Right wing back and right back. I apologize. Um, he's not left-footed. That would be weird. Uh, he came from the Northern Colorado Hailstorm in League One as his most recent team, um, and he played with them after Bay Cities collapsed. Correct. R.I.P. Yeah. Bay Cities. Yeah. Um, Matthew, how are you feeling about Jonathan Partita, who we have unfortunately not yet seen in the preseason? Yeah. So, so Tita's an interesting one because uh, because he got hurt during the during the uh, the preseason portion before Atlanta United. So we have not seen him at all. Um, I did talk to him after the um, after the Knoxville game, and he said he's hoping to be he was hoping to be in training for this week, uh, or, or for the week starting after Knoxville, and so we might we might see him uh, you know, a little bit in, in in the in the preseason uh, the rest of the way. I would hope that by the time that we were able to watch live and in person against Huntsville City and the annual pass holders, 
in the annual, annual pass holders exclusive game. So get that annual pass, baby. Yeah, I I, I think that he would. Uh, I w- I would hope to see him at least a little bit. I you know is he going to be ninety minutes fit yet? Probably not. But like we've got a little bit of time in preseason still to go. He's an interesting one, um, because I I you know he played for Bay Cities as, as an outside back. Which which probably means he's fairly number one. He's going to be good on the ball. He's going to be very technical. You can't play for Bay Cities last year and and for Rod Underwood this year without being able to be those kinds of things. Uh, but we really just don't know yet uh, what what he is and what he can be. So this is going to be really interesting once we, once he finally gets going and you know is is the right back spot, which I think he was kind of carved out to be. I kind of thought he be. Is, is, is he still the starter? Right, well, that's, and that's a question. Or, or is it a situation where he's just going to have to earn it uh, going forward? We don't know because let's move on to our to our next uh, our next player, our final defender, Jung Woo So, coming from open tryouts, uh, Jung Woo So has, has stayed with us th- this entire time. He's now earned a contract, and and like he's not one of those players that we invited into open tryouts to have a look at. I'm pretty sure he just like, was there. And we were like, "Ooh, this guy's got something." By the way, if we did invite him, I don't want to know. Well, yeah. Also, I, also, well done. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but he made the he made the team out of open tryouts. So Jung Woo So is a six foot right right back and defensive midfielder. Uh, and I mentioned defensive midfielder because that's what he played at, at in college at, at Division Two Drury University. But defensive midfielders and right backs or outside backs, especially for Rod and for me, are the same thing. And he's been pretty he's been pretty easily just converted over. Uh, played the first 45 minutes against Atlanta United. Played the first 45 minutes against Knoxville. Uh, he seems to be the guy right now, and 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 I I assume he will not be a starter when the regular season re- regular season kicks in. But he started every game so far in the preseason. So, so far, so he's uh, he's there now. Two goals, three assists, and 44 appearances uh, for for Drury University. I really really like this signing. Number one, narrative wise, it's just it's beautiful him signing after going to open tryouts all the things i also like him as a profile of a player because the way and we'll we'll talk more about tactics in a second but the way we're playing i think plays to his strengths not our fullbacks are not overlapping that much they are tucking in and going forward some i think that fits him perfectly as far as at least his position that he played in college and the way i've seen him play he's looked solid I do think he's the most likely player that we've seen as a regular starter so far to not be a starter, um, because simply because I believe Colin Stripling and uh, Jonathan Bartita will start over him. Um, I think if it comes down to it, Jonathan Bartita is probably your penciled in starter, but in pencil, and then Colin Stripling is your who also fits all of those attributes that Jung Woo So does. Yep. Except he's been a pro longer. Um, but yeah, I'm I love it. I love the the grit and the the work to make it out of open tryouts like that just that resonates with me and i'm so happy he's here and look there's going to be games that we don't have our starters playing so there's going to be game time for him look if ethan corin played last year which he did and not play much in nisa like i think it's a similar thing for so except for or jung woo so i'm sorry i don't know if you say call him jung call him jung woo call him so anyway for jung woo so we'll find that out we'll find we got to find that out but yeah for him i believe that this will be a potentially really cool first season, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Absolutely. Let's move to the midfield section now. Uh, we'll open with Richard Dixon, captain, five foot nine defensive midfielder from Hanover, Jamaica. He played for CFC head coach and current technical consultant Bill Elliott at University of West Florida. 
The uh, upcoming season, 2023, is going to be his 11th season as a pro. Uh, previous clubs include VSI Tampa, which is like old school for you folks out there. R.I.P. Charlotte Eagles, back when they were pro. St. Louis FC, Oklahoma City Energy. Uh, he's been a, a standout player for for CFC now since 2020, and 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 really like brought was brought here as uh, as a, as a right wing back back when we were playing kind of a, a back three, and he was. He was the wing back in, in that set, back three slash back five. And we've seen the conversion uh, to move him to right center back in the back three. Uh, and and now he's been very solidly and only a defensive midfielder for us. And and he was second team, he was given second team uh, uh, Nisa, second team Nisa 11, which was horseshit because he was possibly the most important player, maybe outside of Marcus. In all of Nisa. Yep. Because what he does is allows everything else to work. 100%. And and I think you see a little bit uh, in, in terms of the signings, in terms of the center backs like Gaden Bowers and and uh, Anatoly. I think there's a little bit of uh, taking the load off of Richard. Uh, li- because defensively, we, we talked about this at the end of last season. We were too reliant, and Rod said yes, this. Rod yes, agreed we were with too this. reliant on it. We were too reliant on Richard to clean up all the messes. I think we're seeing a little bit of different personnel. To not not to mean that he's not going to still put out all sorts of fires, but, but he won't but, be the last he, line yeah. of defense. He as shouldn't often. Ha- he shouldn't have to like do all of that. Well, it shouldn't fall all on his shoulders. Right. He can have totally to put his giant shoulder through somebody yeah. uh, right after that. So twenty six matches in twenty twenty two, two thousand three hundred and forty minutes. He did have an assist. Uh, he also one of the goals of the season. What one of the goals of the season on his assist? Uh, the Alex McGrath booming shot. Yeah, yeah, good call, good call. Forgot about that. Uh, I remember him more for his hockey assists. I was on, on drawing the, uh, a drawing a penalty, drawing the penalty and for the hockey for assist, the Greg and then yes. By the way, I was thinking of the Greg Stratton goal, so that's fair. Um, but yeah, it, it's still an excellent, excellent. In this case, I'm counting hockey assists, unlike how I normally <laughs> poo-poo them. Richard Dixon, uh, and we talked about this last year, probably the player that has come furthest under Rod Underwood yeah. as far as like change. Beginning of last season, he was still learning the position, and it was very shaky. Now he is a linchpin, and he is essential to everything we do. And man, he is just so, so good. Alex McGrath. Your favorite player, yeah, I think is fair to say, yeah, five foot nine central midfielder from Spennymore, UK. Previous stops include Stumptown AC and Appalachian State University. He had six goals, five assists, and five hockey assists in twenty nine matches, over a little over twenty five hundred minutes in twenty twenty two. He was a NISA best eleven player in twenty twenty two. He was also our minutes leader uh, for for CFC last year. That's because Alice McGrath does not get subbed out. Yeah, never. I mean, like seriously, never he played for Richard when Richard was out. Uh, yeah, the one, the yeah. One he, or two games. I mean, he was he was the backup, yeah. the backup six. Look, um, Al, it is it is pretty easy to say Alex McGrath is the was the engine that ran. He was the connection. If Richard uh, if Richard was the most important defender last year or defensive player last year, and Marcus was clearly the most uh, important offensive player, Alex McGrath was the player that connected all of that. Correct. And I'm so glad he's back. Uh, I don't have a lot to add other than I can't wait to see what he does this year. He's already started off the year by doing excellent, excellent work, including scoring against Atlanta United and being one of the best players in the field against one Knoxville. Yep. And yeah, I'm super excited to see what he does this year. Uh, next up is a new player, relatively recent announcement. Uh, it's Beto Alvarenga. 
whose name is Lionel, by the way, yeah, which, Le- I, which Leon- I find. Lionel Alvarenga. It's not spelled the same as Lionel Messi, but it's close. Uh, 5'9 central midfielder from Canoga Park, California. He had a goal and two assists in 15 matches for Cal United Strikers in 2022. Uh, that was his first year as a professional player. Uh, he played college at, at University of California, Irvine. And um, this is an interesting fact. He, he trained with, I don't know if he actually played, got caps for, but he did train with the uh, USA U16, U18, and U20 teams. Love that. As a youth national. Love that. So look, we got to see Beto in one game against... Um, Knock one knocks. I thought he was hit or miss. I, I thought his good moments were good and his bad moments were preseason, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I'm very, very, very interested to see. He's another one of those Cal United players that has come here. He played a lot of minutes for them overall last year. Um, he played, you know, I don't know that he was a nailed on starter, but he played quite a bit. And so any, if you played a lot of minutes for Cal United last year, I feel good about where you're coming to. I, I will note, you know, uh, Matai Mawapa, the next player on our list, was a central midfielder uh, in in the Atlanta match, and Beto's inclusion pushed uh, Mumu out to the to the right wing, and and I think that's just something that's an interesting dynamic to watch, and we'll mm-hmm. and we'll come back to we feel really good about about Richard Dixon and Alex McGrath as our two main midfielders, and there are some questions I think who our third midfielder who is? our third midfielder is, and and we've got a mailbag question about that as well. So, but it, this is another this is another possible. Uh, Possible player. Let's talk about Mumu and Ale, and then maybe we talk about this question right Beautiful. now. Beautiful. So Mumu Mutaya Muape is a five foot six attacking midfielder from Lusaka, Zambia. He has he had four goals and eight assists in fifty six matches in USL for Charlotte, Richmond, South Georgia Tormenta, and that's over four seasons. Uh, he projects as an attacking midfielder or wide midfielder, meaning he could play as a right winger. He could play as a right wide midfielder. Or he could play as one of the tens, um, kind of depending on if we play a Christmas tree, if we don't, whatever, whatever. In Like you said, in the one Knox game, we saw him play for the first time this preseason in Damian's spot, or where Damian has been previously playing, opposite yep. Taylor Gray. And then prior to now, we have seen him play as one of the tens, as the right-sided ten. He's a left-footed player. He likes to cut in, as we know Rod likes. Uh, I am very, very, very interested, uh, and I said this on, the, on our preview show, he is potentially a massive piece. If you watch some of his old highlights, if you watch how good he was at times for Richmond, you never know what's happened since then. You never know what kind of, if a player's going to reach those heights out on a consistent basis, but his heights, some of those like best moments are absolutely electric. Taylor gray style dribbler, cut in shoot with the left foot. I'm really, really, I don't know if optimistic is the right word. I'm excited for what Mumu could become for us. And I'm, I think he projects as more of a wide player. That's my own judgment. I've not seen him a lot, but I'm very interested to see what he becomes in Rod Underwood's system over this season. Uh, next player up uh, is Ale Jaimes, uh, 5'5", central midfielder from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Started his career uh, in college at App- Appalachian State University and uh, then transferred after App State closed their program. Transferred to North Carolina State University. Uh, he, he has first pro year. Um, for CFC in 2022, one goal. Who in, I should kiss Marcus on the face for that, that beautiful <laughs> assist for that one, goal. One goal in 675 minutes and look, uh, Al- last year. Alex was often the first player off the bench or the second player off the bench. He also started some, and he played a lot when Ian Saro didn't. So anytime Ian Saro would be, come out of the game, it was almost always Alex that came in. And this preseason, he has been very tidy. He's been very solid. 
Um, I obviously we haven't seen a ton of him, but he started in the Atlanta game and he that was he got an assist in the Atlanta game. Yeah, started out wide in the Atlanta game, uh, and he looked good. And look, he's a young player, and if he takes the next step, uh, he's on a further developmental path than Ethan Corn. Right? I talked about Ethan Corn maybe playing some more minutes, but I don't know that he projects as a starter for us this year because we've brought in a lot of players. But I wouldn't be shocked if he plays significant minutes this year in both central midfield and on the wing because I think he plays both of those positions in a way that Rod Underwood really likes and that he has played for Rod Underwood for a whole season. So he knows what's to be expected of him, what's asked of him. And coming in as a sub is something he was very accustomed to doing last year. I mean, I think if you look at... Uh, if if, if you say uh, that that Beto is, is the, the third midfielder You've got Taylor Gray, you got Damian on, on the wings, let's just say. Then, you know, Mumu makes sense as, as a, an, a backup right midfielder, along with a backup central midfielder. But then Ale is probably your backup left midfielder uh, and also, you know, backup central midfielder. I think those dynamics are going to be really interesting to see where he plays when. And now that we've covered covered those two, let's talk about the third midfielder because that's a question we get asked uh, here in our mailbag. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to find it. It comes from Ross Singer. Who is your ideal third midfielder, uh, either currently on the roster or beyond? Mm. My third ideal midfielder is probably going to be Tony Cruz, if we're just being honest. Maybe Bruno Fernandez, like, you know. You need to calm down. <laughs> Ni- neither of those players is good enough to play for Rod Underwood. Hey. Um, they, can, they can be nice and consider backing up uh, Alex McGrath. Um, I think my <laughs> ideal third midfielder is just another Alex McGrath, a left-footed Alex McGrath. Um, <laughs> since one of those does not exist, um, because Alex McGrath is truly a two-way player, he can go box-to-box, he, he's a great presser, he also defends reasonably well, um, he yeah. just does all the things. Man, that is the question. I think that's actually the most important. Now that we have two starting center backs. That may be the question of, that is the of, question. of this team. That is, that is the question. And let me let me say why. I believe whether at right wing it is Mumu or Damien. Damien has showed, and we haven't even got to him yet in this. Damien, this preseason has looked absolutely electric. We haven't we didn't see him in the one Knox game, but in the Atlanta game, he absolutely murdered those poor overpaid Atlanta children. And by children, I mean they're actual starters in MLS that were not children. Yeah, he murdered them. He is. Uh, the, what I heard about the Memphis game is that he was great, and I believe that it will be Damien's spot not to lose. I believe it will be most off. I think you might see them alternate between the two of them, but I think it will be Damien's spot more. That's a first prediction. I think he'll play 60% of the minutes as long as he's healthy, 70, 60 to 70% of the minutes at right wing that are out there. Um, we've seen in the past that as a young player, he's not always 90 minutes Fit is the wrong word. 90 minutes perfect, meaning maybe he plays 60 minutes and he gasses out because he didn't conserve energy or he's coming off an injury or whatever else. So I do think that he is kind of the starter, at least in my mind, at right wing based on the little bit that we've seen so far. And I think Mumu projects as more of a right winger than a 10. That's just my own personal opinion. So I think between those two guys, I think you kind of have the one of those two guys is your right winger. That's my belief. And if one of those two guys is your right winger, where Taylor Gray is your starting left winger and Marcus is your starting striker, where do we go for the next, like those two are your players, where's the next spot that has any, like, up in the air? Well, right back, it's either Tito or Colin, probably. And I think it's probably supposed to be Partita, but we'll see if, depending on how we're playing, we'll talk about that. Like, the play, the one position we don't have a player in that's nailed down starter, and I honestly don't even know if we have a player that I prefer currently, is that 
either left-sided or right-sided 10, because Alex can play both of them, either one of them, excuse me, not both at the same time, is it is it Lionel Beto Alvarenga? Like, is it Beto, which I think it might be. He might have a slight lead on it. But honestly, like, Mumu's also a very good player. It could, I think it's those two players for now. But Ale Jaimes is going to have something to say in that discussion. And by the way, don't forget that Colin Stripling, prior to Memphis last year, was probably the starting eight, at least in Rod's mind, if you look at his ideal. Now, do I think today's Colin Stripling, center back Colin Stripling, is the ideal player for that position? Not quite. But I think it's up in the air who's going to play that position. Yeah, I I don't I don't disagree with any of this. And I think that you have two nailed down starters, and I think who becomes that other player and fills Ian Saro's very small but very important shoes. Like what that is a really really important position for us, and I I think it could I wouldn't be shocked if ten games into the season it's a platoon. Yeah. Like to use a baseball analogy, it's a platoon thing where against some teams it's one player and against some teams it's another player, and it just takes a while for us to find that player because, man, that's a hard position, and I don't know if we have a perfect fit right off the bat. My my guess, my hot take right now is that it will not be Colin Stripling because of that's not a hot take because of how it's it's put together, and we'll get to that in the tactics portion. Your hot take is that Colin Stripling will be our starting right back. That's uh, your hot take. Kind of, yeah. But no, it, it's less of a hot take because we're not talking about eights. Like, we're talking about tens. And I think that distinction actually matters here. Uh, and and because the outside backs are going to do something different. Yep. So let's let's move on to, to Damian real quick. Five foot five right midfielder from Dalton, Georgia. You know, he started training with CFC in 2020 uh, during, during that fall season. Uh, then he played high school ball in 2021 in the spring and then signed as a, you know, an actual, the an actual academy contract in the summer of 2021, one goal and two assists in 17 matches that, that season. He earned a pro contract from there uh, in his first season as, as a pro, two goals and one assist in 19 matches. Bit of an up and down season. That's not necessarily surprising. Young players. Growth, growth is not linear. And, so, and sophomore slumps are a thing for a reason because of longer seasons. He's going to never have played as long a season as he played last year. Sophomore slumps happen all throughout uh, American soccer. And I'm not saying he like last year was a sophomore slump necessarily, but it is very normal for a player to hit a wall, a bit of a wall going through a longer season because they're not used to it. And this guy's the limit for Damien. Um, as far as talent, he's a very talented player and I am, he might be one of the most important players to CFC this year, because if he takes that next step and he becomes the player that we've seen so far, if this is not a mirage, if this is the player that he is, we have another Taylor gray, essentially, and, and between him and Taylor Gray, if we have two dynamic attacking wingers who can each get roughly 10 to 15 goal contributions, we're in a fucking good place. Yeah, agreed. Uh, now let's talk about his younger brother. Five foot eleven, right midfielder from Dalton, Georgia, Fabian Rodriguez. Uh, you know, he's been on an academy contract. I, I don't know if it was ever officially announced in 2021, uh, but he did make the bench against Appalachian FC. Uh, and I think made the bench in, in a couple of the independent cup matches uh, that, that summer as well. Uh, and then was officially on one in 2022. He's on it again in 2023. Uh, he played two ma- matches off the bench uh, in, in 2022. The Charlotte and the um, Metro Louisville, Metro I think. Yeah. Um, and, and also he's played, you know, he played against Atlanta United in the second half. He played against one, no- uh, he did not play against one Knox, excuse me. Um, I think he's played a little bit in preseason. And we, in fact, we know he played in, in preseason against uh, Birmingham Legion. Because he scored the winning goal. Because he scored the winning goal. Which is which is beautiful. Look, Fabian is a 
it's it's a very interesting piece. So he's five foot eleven, quite a bit taller, yeah, than than his brother Damian. Fabian won a state title, I believe, the year after they won a title together, a state title together, and then I believe Fabian won then another state title the following year. I could be, I don't know if they did or not. Regardless, my point is he's a very accomplished uh, high school level player. And the fact that when I talked to Rod, and at the same time I asked him about Ethan Corrin, I asked him about Fabian, and he said, look, I think Fabian will get some NISA minutes this year, which is a wild thing because we saw last year young players under Rod generally don't get NISA minutes. So if Rod thinks that he will get NISA minutes in the same way that Ethan Corrin did, which might be less than 10 minutes, but if he plays it all in NISA this year, that would be massive for a player on a gap season, a gap year, that may or may not go to college. That would show a massive step in his uh, evolution, and I would be really—I'm really, really happy to hear Rod say that he feels very good about him, and that he's very excited, and that he thinks he might be, again, Nisa minute quality. We'll see where things go, but that's huge. Absolutely. We've got three more players to get through, uh, and then we're going to talk about some distinctions in terms of uh, position. Uh, First forward up. Your golden ball winner and best player in Nisa last year. Golden boot, golden ball, golden hair. Marcus Nagelstad. <laughs> Marcus, six foot uh, central forward from Christensen. I'm sorry, Marcus. I, I'm sure I butchered the hell out of that. Norway, um, Nisa best uh, 11 in 2022. Again, golden ball and golden boot winner. Best player in Nisa last year. Uh, both, uh, not only our votes, but also the rest of the league recognized that. 20 goals, seven assists in 28 matches for CFC in 2022. And he had 15 and eight in 2021 across all matches. He is, Matthew, 16 goals away. That includes the Atlanta United game, right? Yes. So currently is 16 goals away from becoming Chattanooga Football Club's all-time leading scorer. Yeah, that 16th goal will will uh, will put him ahead. Um, I mean, man, what, what, is, what else is there to say about, about Marcus? Uh, Thank God he came back. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. He, he had, a, obviously, a great season last year. He's gotten off on the on the right foot in the, in the Atlanta United game. <laughs> he treated Atlanta United center backs uh, and national team players as if they were Flower City center backs. Yeah. So it's a good start. And I am, I, if our wingers make the steps, I know there's a lot of ifs here, but if our wingers make the steps forward, don't have to be. I'm not talking two steps forward. They make each make a step forward, and Marcus does Marcus shit. Our offense is going to again be very very good. Yeah, and I, I feel very very good about the roster building side of this offense. Right, and Marcus is not the kind of player that you just like give them the ball anywhere on the field, and he's going to go like make magic happen. Like Marcus is one of those central forwards that requires service, and if you give him service, he will put balls in the back of the net. Uh, he also like showed a, a really good ability to draw contact in the box. Earned several, you know, earned a bunch of penalties, converted a bunch of penalties. That is a skill, and that is something that he he is demonstrated over and over that he's good at. Also, there's a whole thing like finishing isn't a skill, like on the internet right now. It absolutely is, and Marcus has that skill in spades. Additionally, Fox in the box, being at the right place, being in the right. We talked. If you go back to our Atlanta review, we talked about his movement on the first goal. Um, The second goal as well was excellent. It's just it's Marcus, man, and he is the linchpin to this offense. And I am extremely, extremely excited that he's back. And I can't wait to hopefully watch him bang in tons of goals this year. Next forward up is Taylor Gray, a six foot one winger from Hughesville, Maryland, eight goals and two assists last year in 29 matches. He was named to the NISA best 11 squad. And uh, we, we did not get to see him against Atlanta United, but we did get to see him for the first time uh, this preseason against one Knoxville and Taylor. I I've said this multiple times, uh, in, in terms of roster discussion and tactics, 
you know, I'm, I'm hoping to see Taylor take a big step forward in terms of his distribution. I'd love for him to get eight goals, maybe get 10 goals this time. Uh, but I think, I think Taylor's biggest like step that he can take is, is getting the ball one-on-one beating a defender destabilizing the defense and then lay creating, laying it off for, for either Marcus or Alex McGrath or another midfielder or Damian or whoever else. I think if our, if our wingers can produce those kinds of moments regularly and consistently, we're going to be a problem. And I think Taylor has the skills to be able to, to go in that direction. And, and um, yeah, look similar to Damian. This is a player that was in his sophomore year last year. In, in a lot of ways. I know he he had a short uh, rookie season, quote-unquote. Yeah. But he is a very good player. He hit a bit of a wall last year, I think. Yeah. Um, which, again, normal. And this year, I'm extremely excited to see what he becomes. I think Taylor Gray is a player that will play at a higher level than CFC. I think he'll end up yeah. in the championship at some point. And I'm really, really excited for this year. I think this could be his last season at CFC. And the reason that might be is he may break out this year and someone might give him real money to, uh, or give us real money to have him go somewhere. Now, am I predicting that that's for sure what's going to happen? No, I'll save that for another episode when I do some predictions. But I think that he has a really high ceiling. I think last year was only the beginning. And I think this uh, this is a very, very good player and a nailed down starter for us. Uh, last player on this list, Hugo Martinez, uh, also an Academy contract player. Uh, he's a six one. Six foot four, six foot one forward from Cleveland, Tennessee. I'd say forward, though. I, I will note that he played a lot of left back in practice. Played a lot of left back in practice for sure. As a right footed player. As a right footed player, but he also played as one of the tens against Atlanta United in the second half. It looked very good. Yeah, you're not supposed to, uh, as an academy player, look very good against Atlanta United. Yeah, he did. Uh, he made one appearance in 2022. Uh, he's already made several in, in preseason uh, for this year. So the same conversation I had with Rod, um, I, we talked about academy players, and he mentioned Hugo and Fabian, how he thought they would both play some NISA minutes. It's just, I won't repeat the same conversation, but it's it's very interesting that that's how Rod views both of their ceilings and their development for this year. Very excited about that. Let's talk about distinctions and positional distinctions. So... I want to open up with Colin Stripling because we've talked a lot about him so far today. In this preseason, we probably haven't talked about a single player positionally more than Colin Stripling. Right. So I had said all through the run-up in, in some of these roster previous roster pods, Colin Stripling is not a center back. He's a midfielder. But he's going to play center back until until we find two, two starting level center backs, which we've now done. Uh, so I want I want to I want to point out when you know, I listed him then today as a defender, uh, Colin can play defender. He can play center back, right back, and then and then the six, maybe the eight. Uh, he could do all of these different things. And, and in Rod Underwood's system, you don't play def- defense, you don't play forward, you don't play midfield. You play where you are on the field at any given time. So where where do we think we see him? If I had to bet, and this is and this is like partita injury bias, right? But if I had to bet right now where we saw Colin the most during the season, it's right back. Number one, he played there one game against Albion when Tate Robertson was out with yellow card accumulation. Number two, and he got and, an assist in that game, by the way. Yeah, he did, and and, and we'll get to maybe You're right over there. Yeah, a little 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 burp here. Um, Chad holding a beer will do that to you. Absolutely, we'll get to in more in depth. Why? But I think the outside backs in in this current system 
are set up more to be eights than anything else. And and I and I mentioned that because we talked about um, the third midfielder and why it's probably not going to be Colin. Nice. I can hear it come out of your chest, dude. You are <laughs> you are uh, getting some little, strong little, reaction there. A little gassy. Uh, we talked about why why Colin's not going to be the third midfielder. It's because we're playing with Richard as a six, and then two tens. And because we're playing with two tens, and the outside backs are, are acting more like eights, I don't think there's there's a, maybe a better position that you could design in a lab for Colin, other than uh, kind of a quasi outside back, quasi eight, sometimes quasi center back. Sometimes has to sit in and be a center back. Sometimes has to sit in and be a second six. I think that's exactly where he belongs, and and yeah, that's 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 where I'm thinking right now. So let's let's I'm going to tie that in um, with another question that that Ross asked. He said, "Will we go back to the Christmas tree?" Uh, first of all, let's not forget that Rod had a particular system that he was fully committed to playing the entire preseason, the first three games of the season, and then he changed it pretty drastically. In one game because it wasn't working. Uh, not because it wasn't working in one game, excuse me. He changed it immediately and from then on because it wasn't working. I would not put it past Rod to change drastically at any point in the season that he feels it is important to. That being said, thus far this season, we played, or last season, we played a 4-3-3. We played a 4-3-3 the whole time. And most of the time, Tate Robertson sat back with the back line. He still went forward some. He tucked in some. Both outside backs would go forward and then tuck in a little bit. But Tate stayed back and was essentially a center back, oftentimes, in possession especially. Not all the time, but oftentimes he was the right center back. And then you had either Nick Spielman or um, occasionally, or I should say Colin Stripling and occasionally Nick Spielman as, as your right center back. And then Frankie as your left center back. It wasn't how it was listed on paper, but that's what, and then you had Rich running around in front. That was kind of how we played. And then Travis Ward would be bombing. Or, or Greg Stratton. Or Greg Stratton would be bombing down the left side. This season, it's very early in the preseason. But it looks like those outside backs are not staying back as much as Tate did. Right? They're they're moving for, further forward than Tate did as a starting point. But they are both tucking in. And it looks like we're kind of playing a 2-3 with both those outside backs alongside of Richard Dixon. And, and we have a question here. Um, for uh, about the outside backs, which I would just love to jump straight into if you're good with. Yeah, so Ross's question about the Christmas tree, no, I don't think we're going back to yes, correct. like the, the, the central midfielder, the six, two eights, two tens, and then a, and, and then a and nine. I, also think, I don't think we're going back to that. I also think that because I think, regardless of what Rod thinks of Mumu, I guess that's the important part is what he thinks, I think, I think Mumu is going to end up a wide player and not a ten. And therefore, you don't bring him in to play the Luis Garcia Sosa ten winger role. You play, you bring him in to play the Taylor Gray winger role. Yeah, not, yeah, not instead yeah. of Taylor Gray, but like Taylor Gray plays it. Uh, but Jim Hicks said, uh, "Would love for you all to talk more about positioning of the outside backs, which is kind of what we're talking about right yeah. now." They were at times. Uh, there were times that Jung Woo So found himself on the opposite channel, which that's a little bit different than what we're talking about. But that's interesting. Uh, not quite like Zinchenko for Arsenal. Um, but more than just pinch in. Um, so Rod likes positional play. Uh, really interested to hear how we think an Arteta system might have influenced his outside back play or or a little bit different than what Pep does. Like, how are we feeling about the outside backs for this season? I want to ask Rod about about specifically Arteta and, and that kind of and that kind of thing. W- what I think is happening right now, and and it's early, but I think I think Rod feels comfortable with with. Um, Aiden Bowers and 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 Prepelitsa. 
as, as two center backs that can really hold their own defensively, especially with Richard Dixon providing cover as the six. And in build-up, at least, I think what it's allowing us to do is pinch the two outside backs in alongside Richard. So you essentially have created uh, two auxiliary sixes on either side, which is not that crazy dissimilar from how his uh, his fall Stumptown team played in 2021. Uh, if you remember, they had two center backs, a six that held, and then two eights that were were kind of alongside the six. And then the outside backs were were pretty high and high and gone. Right. And this is a kind of a different version of where that. Your, where your two eights that were previously pinched are, are forward and gone. And your two outside backs are staying kind of next to Richard Dixon. And they're not per- I, I don't I want to be clear. They're not perfectly staying. They're kind of playing as free eights, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Where they're able to go forward. They're able to but they're so they're not going super far forward, but they're also not uh, they're not like required to stay back either. It's just they're most often in a line with Richard Dixon. Yeah. So it's Richard on one side, and then your right back on the right side of him and you're left back on the left side of him. And that is just unlike how we played last year and, and not very common in how you, you don't usually see uh, that exact setup, which ends up being like a two, three, four, one. Yeah. Because like you also have this, this line of four across, across the top, like the attacking band. Uh, in is, this case, is, is, Alex and Alex and I want to call him Leo for dumb reason. Beto. He already has a nickname, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> Beto and, um, and Alex were like together pushed up. And then you had outside of them, you had Mumu and Taylor. So you had like a four, a bank of four behind Marcus. And you know, the old four, two, three, one, it was like that, except it's a two, three, four, one. Right. Which is very, very cool. And I don't know if it's permanent, right? But it certainly seems like we're committed, especially in the one Knox game to playing with our fullbacks differently. And with having our fullbacks essentially play as eights, at least offensively. Yeah. And I'm very, very interested to see how that develops because it's a big, it's not a drastic tactical shift, but it is a a a, a, a serious one, a yeah. serious one from last season. In in the like Rod Underwood at Stumptown lore, uh, they talked about sometimes like the formation ended up being more of a four-two freedom. And I think an interesting thing that's happened here is it's kind of a two-three two, freedom. freedom, yeah, because. You know, sometimes you would have you. You would see this in the, in the one Knoxville game. Sometimes Beto's dropping in uh, on on the left, kind of in the left channel. If if, if the outside backs that was normally pinched in kind goes of out like, further out like wide, like Ian Sarah always did, like like Ian Sarah did, like Alex McGrath does all the time. Like you'll see McGrath on the on the touchline some, uh, and like and and Mumu was was cutting in in those moments. You're creating like kind of crossing motions. Yes. So and Taylor Taylor dribbled and. Uh, twice all the way across the field with the ball into the other channel to give it to the other winger. Right. Like, and, and and you want those players to cross each other because it requires the defense to communicate who's going where. They're not just like simple, easy lines to understand. And it, and it creates overloads. And it allows Marcus to just kind of be up front. We're not going to play over the top to Marcus ever, right? So it, it allows him to to watch the game, to find feel, the space. feel the game, find the space. And what's Marcus elite at? Finding that, finding that space, finding where the ball is going to be before the right. defender knows it's going to be there. So, like, like, is this is this where we go, where we're, we're we're going in the future? It looks that way right now. Yeah, and again, but that also for me that influences the the question about about the third midfielder because yeah. in this type of system, maybe it's not Mumu. Maybe you want a dynamic type of player out wide. You need someone like like Beto that can sit in there a little bit and find pockets of space. And, and and like be more of a 
be more of a like receive the pass turn, give the pass out so type I, player. We talked a little bit about Beto versus Mumu, and I I believe this is my uh, Mumu signed early. I think Rod could have had this system in mind earlier. He could be adjusting to the players that he has. I think that Mumu Mumu's ability to turn and beat a man because he's a very good dribbler and a very tricky player. I think his ability to turn and beat a man quickly is something that Rod probably really likes. I just think it's going to end up profiling better on the wing because he's given the ball up a lot, and it's early. It's early, but yeah. he's given the ball up a lot in the games we've seen him play so far, and I don't think Rod's going to put up with that for very long. Rod likes possession and security, and and granted, he also may just make— we saw Richard Dixon go from— no offense, Richard, a liability offensively to an absolute strength offensively over the course of a season. And I, Mumu could absolutely do that. Well, and think but about, I, think about what Ian Saro was able to do last year. Ian Saro also struggled in terms of keeping the ball at in, the very in, beginning, in, in the initial, in the initial stages of the season, but it was the opposite. He struggled at keeping the ball in the wing. And once he shifted in, I I'm guessing it was mental because once he shifted in, he could not make risky plays with the ball. Yeah. And he just stopped making mistakes. Now, did it mean we were a little more conservative at times? Yes. But also, like, Ian Saro is the kind of player that made magic happen three times a game. And the question is, can Beto be that guy? Can he make magic happen? I think if I if I had to guess, my prediction would be that Beto's going to be end up the starting left-sided midfielder or right-sided midfielder, depending on where they decide to play Alex versus him. Uh, as far as your tens, but I don't know. And honestly, it's also very possible. I, this roster's not done. Yeah, this if roster we, is not done. If that's we a, get that's a, a key point. If we get an extremely dynamic player, a drop down, a creative player, there's a world in which you can adjust a little bit more. Alice can still go box to box. You have more. Remember something we said that we wanted to see for this season was Richard have more help, right? Not only from the yeah. center backs, which we've seen and we've talked a little bit about, but having more help from another midfielder. It looks like positionally we're just going to give him more help numbers wise with our outside backs. Yep. If if that is the case and all of that is comes true, Alex can still be free and have less um, defensive responsibility. And also, I think you could have more of a luxury quote unquote type player like Ian Saro, who's not a great individual defender but is a very very good offensive player. You could see a player like that that isn't on the roster currently, or that Beto might end up being slot into that other midfielder spot and really, really change things and have a free role to uh, to really dictate pace of game, offensive things, because the defensive numbers game and width game is not being taken care of by those outside backs. It's, or excuse me, the offensive part's not being taken care of by the outside backs. The defensive part is shore up, is shored up. And yeah, it's just a different, it's a different look. Want to know my hot take for Beto? Absolutely. He's not going to be the player that makes magic happens, but he's going to be the player that allows other players to make magic happen. I take that, man. That's Alex McGrath. So, well, I think Alex McGrath makes, ma- makes magic, the magic happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I want to talk about a few other players in, in terms of positions, and then I want to go oh. to some more mailbag questions. And let's just not. I want to. I want to talk about. We talked about Colin Stripling, so I want to talk a little bit more about this for just a split second. If if as the roster is currently constructed with no other players, we do not have a backup left back. That backup left back is Colin Stripling, and here's why: Colin Stripling won't play left back. Aiden Bowers will play left back, in my opinion, if something happens to to Joseph Perez. Knock on wood, may not, none of these things happen. But if something happens and he can't play for whatever reason, I believe Aiden Bowers will shift over to left back. I believe Tolley will shift to left center back, and then Colin Stripling becomes the right center back. That's why he's your backup, because he allows you to shift. Okay, So I, that's how I think it functions there, first of all. He's also your backup right center back, 
and he is he allows Tolley to play left center back, and he probably could play left center back as your backup. So he's your backup at three different positions. I believe he may be your starting right back, as we talk as you talked about, and I agree fully that he may be just the perfect carbon copy cutout for what you would design for that position. If he is, I think he'll probably start there. We'll see what Tita brings, but he's also your backup right back. I mean, look, maybe Jung Wu So is, but I think he's going to play in place of Jung Wu So. So he is, he is so positionally flexible to play in all these positions and allow us to do all of these things. I believe we don't have to sign a backup left back because Colin Stripling is on the roster. I believe we don't have to sign up a backup left center back because Colin Stripling is on the roster. Yeah, and I I think that he could in a pinch, especially if heaven forbid something happened to Richard or Alex, could play one of those positions. We would adjust the formation a little bit, and he could play in the midfield. I mean, I think it would look more like a double pivot if we had to. But and yeah, I, and I think that he—you could see that happen as well. And I, I just think, as I said earlier, Colin Stripling will play a lot of minutes this year. He'll play a lot of positions this year, and he may be a starter, but he also is can be a starter and a backup at the same time because he plays so many positions. He allows you to shift players uh, both in game and uh, from the start of games. Um, yeah, positions wise. We listed Ethan Corrin as a defender because he's primarily a center back for us. I kind of disagree with that. He's going to play. He's going to play some midfield, and he, and and realistically, in terms of Nisa, he'll play more in midfield than he will in in center defense. Because I don't think he's starting as a center defender in Nisa. I think he'll play some minutes as as a as a midfielder. I agree, uh, especially some garbage time minutes. If uh, I think if, you, if we can build some leads, I think you have three center backs ahead of him in Nisa. But I think he's going to start at center back in our non-Nisa games. I, I definitely would see that because I, I think they value his they, his potential as a long-term center back. Open club, open cup, not included. Yeah. So uh, Jung Woo So, Jung Woo So was listed as a, as a defender for us, but he's primarily a defensive midfielder. Uh, he's just played right back exclusively in preseason. Are we going to see? Are we going to see like that that? stay or are we going to see something something different i don't know he might just be kind of a utility backup uh maybe just further down the pecking order than colin stripling when it's all said and done but mm-hmm. i think it was worth mentioning i uh, think he, i think at this point he's carbon like he's perfect for that hybrid right back role we're currently playing yeah. or as just a regular four-man right back i don't see him getting minutes at this point in his development at any other position I do think in the medium term, so next year, let's say he plays well this year, he gets some minutes here and there, blah, blah, blah. Next year, if he continues to develop as a player, I would be interested to know, can he cut it at the six? If he can't cut it at the six, can he cut it in the Alex McGrath or uh, the uh, the free eight role? Does he have the legs? Does he have the technical ability? Yeah. Does he have the read of the game? I don't know, but I, I think those are the only two positions he profiles as. I Or sorry, three, six, free eight, and right back. I could be wrong, but those are the, but that's also, he's, there's more positions he profiles for than the average player. Let's talk about uh, why I referred to Damian Rodriguez as a midfielder and Taylor Gray as a forward. Because if you're, if you're looking at this 4-3-3 or 2-3-4-1, they play the same position on opposite sides. Here's why. Uh, I've got Damian as a, midfielder because he's a right midfielder and his backup position is probably like one of the tens. We haven't really seen him play play kind of in that position before for CFC, but it it does it is his background playing as a 10 in high school. And um 
he just he just feels more like a midfielder than he does like a winger to me. Mm, uh, see, I don't agree. An outside midfielder, a right a right midfielder, sure. But he's not a, he's not a forward for me. He's he's a creator. I think we disagree here. More more than a finisher. I think we disagree. Taylor here. is more of a finisher than he is a creator. I'd like him to see him get more creative for sure. But Taylor's backup position is not a 10 for CFC. And this actually answers another question uh, that I think Ross had. You know, who's our who's our backup? Who's our backup striker? It's Taylor Gray. Yeah, like Taylor's a forward. He's a he he scores goals. Uh, he was what second on the team in goals last year. Like, you know, he's a forward. He's not a he's not a midfielder. Now Taylor's background. If you would ask him last year, and we did, he views himself more as a ten, and and he was one of the two tens. And we shifted him to winger, and I and and for me, I'm just I'm taking that shift to winger, as he's a forward. So I understand how you got there, and I don't disagree with your logic, as far as like it's sound, it's like math. Um, here's the thing, I think you're wrong. I think Taylor and Damian are very similar players. I think Damian happens to be five foot five, and Taylor six foot two, or whatever, um, and maybe six foot eight with his his hair. Like I think that. They are. I look. I don't think you're going to see Damien as a lone striker, right? So I agree with you that that your current backup and probably your season long backup forward for Marcus, if if Marcus doesn't start or if Marcus isn't isn't available, it's Taylor Gray. However, I think they are positionally the same player. I think they are both wingers who are forwards. I you I know you disagree with this, but I think if we played a two striker setup, that both of them would be candidates to play in a two striker small small and tall, except for ta- with Taylor be a tall and tall. Um, I disagree with that. I know you do. Uh, so I think that I think that Damien is a winger. Period. That is his position now. I don't think he's a ten anymore. I'm not saying he couldn't play a little bit of it, but I, don't, I haven't seen him play a single minute in as a ten at all for us. And I don't think we'll see it. And I think you'd be more likely to see him in the offset, which he's not going to play the offset like like, like <laughs> Peter Fuller, but in the offset where he's a he's a free winger forward up front where he doesn't have, where his job is to create from the front and, and wreck things, or as a second forward if we're playing like a 3-2-1-4 because we're chasing a game at the end, I th- and, and he ends up next to, um, for example, next to the striker, and then you have a wider player that's like pushing in and crossing and crossing and crossing, right? Um, yeah, I just don't think you're going to see him at the 10. I think he's the same type as Taylor Gray. He's just not as big, so you're not going to see him at the 9. Which is why he's not a forward. I get how you got there, but yeah, I just disagree. <laughs> I disagree. Also, in the offset, we, we refer to that as a midfield position. Well, you were wrong. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's move to... to we've got like, a lot of mailbag questions here. So I, I want to point... Let's talk about the backup striker for a second. We did see one interesting player in... Um, that was a very, very large forward come on in the end. I was going to get there during the trialist section. Thank you. I just wonder if profile-wise, we're maybe not looking for a backup striker. Just like the backup for Richard Dixon is Alex McGrath currently, right? He's another starter in a different position that becomes the backup. That's what Rod has demonstrated he's going to do. And when I asked him if Colin Stripling was the backup to, uh, I said, oh, well, obviously Colin Stripling's your backup for Richard if something happens. He said, or Alex McGrath, and smiled. So... Just, just same with that. I think Taylor is your backup for Marcus, almost no matter who you sign, because you're not going to sign a player that's better than Taylor Gray, probably. Yeah. But you might sign a player that's very different than Taylor Gray. 
Yeah, that that's a possibility. And and there was a trialist that was that was interesting and, and kind of fit that physical profile. And he looked let's, let's, he looked to, he looked to be about six foot five. And so I just wonder if we're looking for a different profile. So I'm, just like we looked for a different profile on the goalkeeper side this year, I wonder if for our last attacker spot we're looking for a different profile of player, a different golf club in the bag of golf clubs, so to speak, that is a lot larger. We'll come back to that. Sure. Uh, so. Um, Gunnar Grux, aka CFC Gunnar Forty One, uh, I think is, is so many Arsenal fans. I think his Twitter profile at one point had Stone on it, uh, and I forget. I met you at the women's trials, and I forget your name, and I'm very sorry about that. How dare you? I know I'm the worst. Um, you are. He said he asked with the current men's roster, what tactical changes will we see off the bench, or will they come in just fit the same system? Do we have anyone that we can bring in to change up the pace? in certain areas or change the dynamics of the game if it needs a drastic change. I didn't read this question super close, so I'm thinking about it right now. I'm glad. Like, this is one of the few I didn't, like, prep for. Hold on, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry, well, listeners. Let me just say this. Personnel is policy. policy. Yep. So last year I would have suggested that had we started – in if if thing if if things had worked out how I think they should have, we would have started Nick Spielman and Frankie, and then Colin Stripling would have either come off the bench or started, and he would have allowed you to change games. And we saw that with the last five and ten minutes of games last year, where when we did cha- want to change games, quote unquote, we brought in Nick Spielman in the midfield, or or we brought in Nick Spielman at the not ten or whatever to run around and like do a particular job, right? But we really didn't have a second formation last year, which is a, P- a Peter Fuller team would have had a second formation, and Rod's teams don't at least last year, but he didn't say he was opposed to. We asked him about this, and he said, like, you know, basically, like, we're not going to have a dedicated second formation, but also we do have a way to change the game. I do think, like you said, personnel is policy, and that's why I mentioned the big striker. And I think currently, I would have said before we started this new outside back thing, I would have suggested that Colin Stripling was your change of pace player because you have a single pivot for half the game, and then we're up two goals or three goals, and you bring in Colin Stripling for one of the eights. You let Alex be free like I said, one of the eights, the non-Alex eight, and then you have a double pivot, right? That would have been my guess. Right now, man, I don't know. I, yeah, what do you think? I think I think your change of pace, if, if you're if you're taking as gospel that we're going to play outside backs pinching in and kind of this two, three, four, one type this thing, system. This thing that we've seen in exactly one game. Well, but, you we saw it a little bit in the Atlanta United game too. I, not in the first half. Not in the second half, I think, it was just freedom, freedom-loving do whatever, I've watched, play ball. I need to go back and rewatch with this lens on the Atlanta United game. Yeah, it maybe. certainly was not this pronounced, and I watched that game a lot. The one Knox game, it is clearly a choice. Yeah, the so way we I, are playing is clear. We are constantly in a two-three something. I, I would say your your change the game is to play more traditional in a four-three-three. Mm. Um, and and maybe that's the, but like I I don't think it's going to be necessarily a formation. I think. It'll think, be just letting the outside backs bomb forward further. I think it's I think it's putting players in in positions that that suits them best. And if a player is more suited for tucking in as an outside back to providing auxiliary mid- midfield support, that's probably what they should be doing more of. Uh, that's what I mean. Like, I don't think there was a ton of instructions to Tate Robertson, for example, last year of like, hey, like stay back, kind of be an auxiliary center back and an auxiliary midfielder. And, and, and help hold this line, that's just not kind of naturally Tate's game. Mm. Now, like, I, I think there are, there were some instructions, like if the ball's on the high left side of the field, tuck you're, in on the right you're, side, right, yeah. you're right back, tucks in a little bit. 
But also, like, you want players to play in a way that they're comfortable, allows them to express themselves, and allows them to be the best version of themselves on the field. And you sign players that are different because you want to have different looks at times. And I think, I, I, I personally don't think that uh, you have to change a formation as long as there are different players that provide different looks. I will add that. I agree with all of that. Uh, that's a very good point, and I, I hadn't thought of it that way. I think you're right. I will add that if we get a different tool in the tool bag, if we get a six foot five striker like Antonini or like anybody else, um, that big that big guy off the bench is something we've never had under Rod Underwood. And the way he played in the second half is drastically different than what Marcus does. That dude that played in the second half, I don't believe would start if Marcus wasn't playing if we had that guy on the roster right it would be taylor gray if marcus couldn't go or didn't go for whatever reason and i but i do think you could play that guy alongside of taylor gray or marcus or whatever later on in the game or instead of if you were trying to do a particular thing but that would be a personnel as policy big change in personnel because a six foot five player that is very good at holding up the ball i keep saying six foot five i think the guy was like six foot four but um six foot five player that holds up the ball is very different than a, a uh, Ian McGrath is very a, a non-technical Ian McGrath. No offense to that guy, but like a non-technical Ian McGrath is going to play a position very differently than Marcus does. Yeah, and I do think you might see a personnel as policy change off the bench if that is something we're looking for. That is a plan B, so to speak, where we either go to let's say we're down a man and we need to hold the ball up or whatever else, or if we're we need to go kick that ball in long, which we don't do very much have a knockdown and have a excellent striker of the ball in Marcus Nago said, take a, you know, take a knockdown and score. Uh, yeah. I think we've beaten but that we horse. Don't, but also we don't have that player on the roster. So there's a lot of speculation on my end that doesn't exist. So Jeff Sisk asked an interesting question here. Who, who have the unsigned trialist been and who else can we expect to be signed? Is there anyone else at training who we haven't seen in a game? So, in, in terms of... Partita is the player yeah, we haven't seen in the game. We, we have not seen Partita. We also did not see Colin Stripling in the, in the one Knoxville game. Uh, we also up, didn't see Damian Rodriguez. He, yeah, he picked up... Colin picked up a knock, at least. And we don't know what happened with Damian. Yeah, it could have just been a... We, we want a different look this game. And 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 that's... Those are coaches' decisions. Uh, I will note, we had uh, a second-half substitute uh, at the beginning, uh, right, right at halftime. Uh, that was Tom Marriott. Came in for Jung Wusso. Your guy. Uh Big fan of Tom Marriott, but he uh, he was also a second half sub substitute in the Atlanta United game. Uh, he's the only he's the only trialist. Uh, I mean, Jung Woo has been 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 signed now, so Marriott is the only trialist still from the Atlanta United days. Mm. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, we but, don't, he, but we we haven't kept Rod Underwood has not kept guys around right very long. Yeah, in the sense that if he doesn't think that you're good enough, he's going to let you go. And that's good. That's, but I don't. I think you can read a little bit between the lines there. That if Marriott's still around, and we know he's English, we know he's English. We know he got married uh, last year. So would I be would I be shocked that we're just kind of waiting around to make it official in terms of like some paperwork and stuff? I, I wouldn't be shocked by that. But like, also, I just I don't think he'd still be around if we weren't still looking to sign him. And it doesn't mean he's going to sign. But and, and ostensibly, he was one of the tens in, in the original construction. We've now seen him at at right back. Which is interesting, but that it's that right back position that's also kind of an eight, 
Yeah, so I I'm, I do think if you think about that right-back position as an eight, it's very interesting for him. He's a more offensive version of that. Like, he's Jung-woo so, but he's more offensive, right? Um, I am... Man, I, I, I also... My, my guess is also, like, we didn't have Colin Stripling available. Yep. We didn't have Partita available. Yep. So he kind of, like... And we kind you of go down the pecking order a little bit. He's the next guy. Yeah. And also you want to see him in minutes, right? If you're right. going to sign him, we've already, Jung Wusso is signed and announced. Yeah. You now want, you, you got to, you want to get a minute, get the trial list out there and, and see him. So I, I would also, also point Tom out Tom Marriott scored in the Memphis game. We found out. Yes. Um, yes. As part of that game. So yeah, look, I'm, I'm very interested in Tom Marriott. I just don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if he's, if he is the answer at the other midfield spot, which is what I'm very interested in for that next signing. How many signings do you think we have left? How many do we have right now? Oh, we just did the list. I wasn't even counting. Count them. Just count them right now. Uh, seven defenders, two... Um, is it seven? Two goalkeepers, two, four, six, seven defenders. Nine. Three. Total. Let's see. With beta three. That's three more. 12. So 7-7 seven, seven, and 2. 7-7 seven, seven, and 2 is 16. Uh, three forwards. That makes 19. That includes the two academy signings. Man, uh, 3 is my we, guess. I think I think a, a straight-up even 22. I think you're looking at 3 more, and then I think you're also looking at probably unannounced player or 2. I, I would not be surprised if they find if they find someone they want regularly practicing with them. Yes. Uh, just a regular practice player, maybe well, I'll, I'll, maybe maybe an academy player. Like there's there's some stuff that they can do. So I know I know that they they want a certain number of academy players. Currently they're at two. Yeah. Announced. There's there's a chance they find one or two more um, that are year long academy players from anywhere that are taking a gap year that are whatever. Um, I think you could see another player or two of that. But I think pro wise you're going to see two to three. I'm going to guess three more. I'm going to guess three more pros. I think in the way it currently sits, that probably means there's a spot for Marriott or a similar central midfielder. Um, Especially because Marriott can play the 10. Apparently he can play the two now. Uh, He can play. That's that's right back for anyone who doesn't speak Matthew. He he can probably play one of the wing positions, although it would not be a traditional. I would not play him as a like a traditional winger. Now, now the love is coming out. Matthew loves Tom Marriott. I, I've watched him play for a while now, um, and, and yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Um, so I think I think if if we think there's three players left, I think Tom Marriott will be on this roster. And the reason I think that is because he's been around for so long, and he's a solid player. Like because we've known about him because he's he is English, and so like there's a chance of just waiting on paperwork. I think that, also like we're going to need that paperwork at some point in time. Right. So I think he'll be on the roster because if there's three spots left, if there's only two spots left, I'm not sure they can wait around if they're waiting for paperwork. Yeah. And the reason I say that is if there's two spots left, I don't think, I think we're done at defender. I think well, we've got seven of them. So yeah, we're done. I think we're done at defender. I think we need another center mid, central midfielder. And I think we need another two forward line players. So I think as a central midfielder, probably Tom Marriott would be that signing. I think the forwards thing is, I think you could see a back... We don't have a backup player for Marcus. I know we just did this whole thing about it's Taylor. But if Marcus goes down, then you only have... You don't have enough wingers. You only have... So I think we need another... There was an interesting trial list uh, in in the the last 20 minutes of of the Knoxville game. Who I've already mentioned by name. Yeah, he already mentioned it by name. It's Derek Antonini. Uh, He's like 6'4", 6'5". And I thought he played well. 
Um, the question was about Trilus, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. There were a couple of other ones. I, I don't know if, if either of them left an impression on me, personally. I, I am reading a lot into one player and one player stature. But if we are looking for a change of pace kind of guy... You can't get more change of pacey than this. Yeah. So you and, and it's straight just, up. It might be another player. We we were looking, and and I have I have some like intimate more intimate knowledge of this. Like we were looking for a back to goal hold up player for years, uh, and be not not necessarily because we wanted like a starter to be that kind of player. We just we needed that club in our bag. Yeah. And and we needed that club in our bag last year as well, and we did not have one. What did we always talk about, Soren? You'd never hope to use him, but he's going to end up starting. <laughs> yeah, he's going to end up starting. And he was super athletic, and he was that club in the bag that, like, he just fit in a lot of positions. Yeah, it, it's different It's different for it's a different, center forward. It's different than Soren, but it still is, like, you You want to have him available. You you need, at, at some point in time, there there will come a day, there will come a game where you're going, in a situation, more, more likely, that you're going to need to have something to aim at. And it is easier to aim at a 6'5 player than it is a 5'5 player. Simple as that. And you're going to need a player in the box to compete against other big center backs. What's uh, Fuckface Marriage doing? I don't know what his <laughs> first name is. I don't know. He'll probably be back at Michigan. I'm just saying, if we're looking for a giant guy. Like... Yeah, so like this is this is an interesting one to watch out for. Uh, we don't have any inside info um, on, on like signings or anything like that. Maybe there's something in the works. Maybe there's not. Uh, we're all just going to have to wait and see. We're going to get a chance... Uh, if if you're listening to this on Monday or maybe the, the day after it comes out Tuesday, you're going to get a chance on the weekend, uh, on on Saturday the the 18th to watch CFC in the annual Passholders game against Huntsville. Huntsville should be a very very good test for us. I think they're some of the players they've signed are very very good, like USL Championship level good. Uh, that will be a tough game for us, and it'll be a really good good opportunity to see you know are some of these trialists are they still with us. Uh, Excuse me. What happens to the outside backs in, in terms of like pinching in? Have we found a third midfielder? Like what? What's the evolution here? Should be really interesting. Um, Jim Hicks asked, uh, moving on in the mailbag, what do you think? Who do you think will be the guy on the right wing? Damian Mumu, someone else? Gut feeling. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I did already say I didn't. I actually didn't read this question as well. So thanks, Jim. Um, it's a good question. I I think. I said this already. I do think it's uh, Damien. Um, I think that although... You think like 65 minutes of Damien and 25 minutes of Mumu? On average, yeah. But I don't think it'll quite work out like that. But I do think that... The, I think Mumu will start regularly. Damien will also start regularly. They're different looks, right? Damien's right-footed. They're very different players. Damien's right-footed. Mumu's left-footed. I think ideally, your ideal situation would have been Mumu cutting in from the right on his left foot. That would make us more balanced. But I also think that Damien's dynamic and he's young and he's more likely to have ups and downs and slumps. And I'm not not wishing that upon him. But I think that just a combination of the two, I think Damien's going to end up, and I am basing this on him looking so electric in that in that Atlanta game and hearing about how good he was against Memphis. I just think it's going to be Damien more often than not. And when it's not, and because Mumu's going to end up playing minutes at the 10. So I think Mumu's going to end up playing some at the 10, some on the wing. And yeah, I just think it's going to be more Damien than Mumu. But also, I don't think that's decided yet. I think that you have two positions that are held down that are just nailed down, and that's Marcus and Taylor. And that right wing is just going to vary upon matchup or who's looked good in training or whatever else. One of the things I really like so far is that it feels like, and, and this may change throughout the season, 
uh, as players begin to separate themselves. Mm. But it seems like this team is deeper than it was last year. It's deeper. Um, I, I believe that it's deeper. That's my belief as well. We still have three weeks until the uh, until the, the first regular season game, so I, I want to reserve some judgment here. Also, we but it but it feels that way for sure. And when we say deeper, we don't mean we're going to come out and win six in a row. We're going to be as good as last year immediately. Oh yeah, I think this what is a we, process. I think what we mean is by the end of the year, we believe we will be a better team than we were at the end of last year. Yeah, um, I believe there's more talent on this team. I believe it's deeper overall, uh, and I think that yeah, I, this last if we have three more signings to go. If we get, we could potentially just fill out the roster with solid role players, and I will feel good about the roster. Or we could go get a player or two that I go, holy shit, I can't believe they fell to us. Yeah, and I'm not saying one or the other is going to happen because I don't know. But we talked about this before: the League One and Championship seasons start before we do. There will be players cut from those camps that we and we may potentially have an open roster spot or two. When you when you listen to this, USL Championship will have just opened their opening weekend. And League 1 will have not opened. So there may potentially be guys that get cut in those last weeks uh, or first weeks of USL Championship and USL League 1 and they may fall to us and we may get somebody in our lap that was supposed to be was unavailable to us and now just needs a place to play. Yeah. And I I mean I'm hoping for that. That would be great and you could see that one of those starting positions, I mean, right wing, I think I'm feeling good about it, but you could find, you could see another, like, oh my God, we suddenly have a nailed on starter and these two guys are the backup, right? You could see a left or right 10 come in. You could also see just backups, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be a pivotal few weeks. I feel really, really good about the roster construction overall and where we've arrived. And I'm very, very excited that we might sneak in another player or two. Final question. It comes from Jeffrey Clymer. Yes. With Michigan Stars seemingly letting some of their players go, how is that matchup going to look like now that we have defenders that are bigger than five foot nine? Uh, that's that's very rude. Collins Stripling and Nick Spielman are both six foot two, and Frankie's genuinely <laughs> six foot tall. It was everyone else that wasn't very tall. I, I do want to, to mention for for listeners that may not know, Stephen Junghai is now in Slovenia playing. Uh, Vasil Zogos is now in Albania playing. Uh, I think I saw a report that Alexander Frank, a French midfielder. Is going to play for Fort Wayne um, this upcoming season. Um, is that a new championship team or League One team? Uh, League Two. League Two. Oh, Fort where, Wayne, for, League where two. foreign players go? Um, oh, God, of course. The Michigan Stars is going to have to retool a few things because of the foreign player rules put in put in NISA after the Valley United situation, and 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 like now, are, are how how different are they going to be? I I believe. I mean, I, I, I said this earlier. I believe Marich is going to be back. He's going to be a problem to deal with. He always is. Uh, Michigan made a great a great signing in center back Colin, uh, Garrett Hogman, and yeah, don't, and don't like that. And I don't think they're going to be too dissimilar to how they were last year. Look, George George Yunkai has the names. The names may change at Michigan. They often do. The style remains kind of the same. I think that look, George Yunkai has proven three out of the four years. He put and, and the other year he they they weren't terrible they just weren't good enough like yeah. they were just mediocre yeah they they have a particular identity it's actually we talked about this before it's it's like Rod Underwood it's very different than Rod Underwood but just like Rod Underwood has a style that he plays they have an identity the Michigan and Stars style. have an identity and a style and look I I wish them nothing but bad things but they're gonna be decent again there's a good chance they are the second or the third best team in NISA after us and I, I would guess LA uh, LA Force and look we are now the home of great Eastern European players. Thank you, Tolly. Uh, and I do believe that between Tolly being number one, our bigger goalkeeper, both of our goalkeepers being much bigger, 
and with look, Aiden Bowers is not a small guy. I think between those three play and Aiden Bowers is a little smaller in Colin Stripling, so call that a wash. They're similar. I think between the additions of Tolly and and Bull, either Jean Antoine or Jonathan Burke, we are going to play the Michigan Stars a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and both of those players, as I talked about in the Knoxville review, both of those center backs are defense first center backs as opposed to a converted midfielder or an offense first. Does that mean they're better players? Not necessarily. It means they're different players, though. Yeah. And as you've said, personnel is policy. I do think uh, we will match up a little bit better on set pieces because of the physical size. I believe we will match up a little bit better defensively because of just individual defending skill. And those things should make us match up a little bit better against Michigan Stars. And additionally, we saw against one Knoxville, a team try to out-physical, out-muscle us, take cheap shots. All the things that Michigan Stars do, they just didn't flop as much as Michigan. They were very Michigan Stars-y. They just didn't flop. Yeah. And we managed to navigate that well. We got the win, and we never really lost control. That was good. That's a good sign. And I feel good about how we match against the Stars. Am I afraid to play the Stars? Am I annoyed by playing? Yeah. I think anyone who's not annoyed by playing the Stars is, hasn't been watching. But I think we match up even better than we did previously. And I'm um, I'm interested in seeing what we develop into. And look, we just have to be better. In that Michigan Stars game, we should have won because we needed to finish our chances. We didn't finish our chances. They got theirs. It's the same thing next season. Got to finish your chances. Yep. And got to defend well. Create more chances defend better, and then take the chances that you create. Yep. Well, Matthew, I think that's a pretty solid hour and 45 minutes of, <laughs> uh, of review. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Uh, we are back, and we will try not to have any month-long breaks. Sorry for the lack of continuity, but it's about to be season time, baby. It is about to be season time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Peace.